Y'all, it's so, so funny to me that I had planned this whole service. I had written out my introduction. I knew how I was going to start. And this whole message today is about how it's time for change. And Jesus said, you think so? Here's some change. I'm going to change things up. And his spirit moved y'all this morning. And like I said, I wasn't feeling it. I was in a bit of a funk. I really was. There were just some things in my heart that were hard. And I'm sure you can relate this morning, but Jesus is bigger than the hard things in our lives. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we focus so much on how we feel and what's going on that we neglect to remember who our God is. It's time for for change this morning. Honest question, how many of y'all this morning when you walked in were a little freaked out because the chairs look different? Anybody, did that stress anybody out? It's the first thing my husband said, oh, we got a new setup. (laughs) We like things to be the same, don't we? We like for routine to happen. We like to, to know what to expect. Just as an example, how many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you go through the same morning routine? Okay, for me, the first thing I do, regardless of whether I'm going to work or I'm just moving from the bed to the couch, first thing I do is I go and I brush my teeth. How many of you are immediate teeth brushers? If you're not, if you eat breakfast or drink coffee before you brush your teeth, you need to repent in the name of Jesus because that is just wrong, right? First thing we have to do is is brush our teeth. I'm a person who likes routine. Everybody just do a little experiment with me here. If I pick up your toothbrush and go like you're gonna brush your teeth. You always go to that side, don't you? You always brush that side first. My dentist actually told me I needed to relax on brushing that side because my gums are wearing away faster over there than they are on this side. That gives you a little insight into my personality. I'm a vigorous toothbrusher. Okay, so we have the same morning routine, right? How about when you get to work? Katie could probably tell you my routine. I come in, I sit down in my book bag, I go out and I put my lunch in the refrigerator, then I open up my laptop. Every day, it's the same thing. Is that true for y'all? Same routine? Okay, what about when you go grocery shopping? Do you start in a certain area of the grocery store? Picture it right now. You go into Ingalls, Publix, Aldi, wherever you shop. Where do you go first? Point, which way do you go? I go to the right. We go to produce first. Dairy is last, dairy is not first. You go to produce first, right? You shop the perimeter of the store. You go up and down the aisles. You have a certain routine that you follow. And if you're like my precious husband, you even organize the shopping list according to which aisle things are on. I'm calling you out. He says it's much more efficient that way. I like to wander. All right, so we have a routine when we go to the grocery store. Now, I know that it's winter and it's cold outside, but ladies, if you are still shaving your legs, don't you shave a certain leg first, right? Some of y'all are nudging your wives like, you need to change. You need to change. Shave that leg, baby. Okay, so my point is this. We are a people who like routine. We find comfort in that predictability, don't we? We like to know what to expect. Now, I know there might be some outliers in here. There might be some people who don't love routine the way that I do and who do find excitement in change. But I think for the vast majority of us, we really do thrive when there is a routine. I remember when I was in college, I was taking some child development classes um, in order to get my education degree, and they talked to us about how important it is for children to have a routine. It's true for infants, right? Those of you who have had a newborn, you know that it takes a few days, maybe weeks, maybe months, but you eventually have to establish a routine, right, where every so many hours, usually three to begin with, they eat. You have a routine at bedtime, right? 
You give them their bath, you give them their bottle, you give them their pacifier, you lay them down, you walk out, and they go to sleep. Whatever your routine is, children thrive in that. They told us, I was studying to be a high school teacher, that the same is true for high school students. Even though they don't need the the same type of routine that an infant needs, they need to know what to expect, right? So when they walk in your room, they know where to go, for example, to get a pencil. They know where to turn their papers in. Routine and predictability, it, it helps us to thrive. This is what a child psychologist, Dr. Robert Myers, says. The regular schedules provide the day with a structure that orders a young child's world. Although predictability can be tiresome for adults, children thrive on repetition and routine. Schedules begin from the first days of life. Babies especially need regular sleep and meal programs and even routines leading up to those activities. As they get older, when a child knows what is going to happen and who is going to be there, it allows them to think and feel more independently and feel more safe and secure. Can y'all relate to this? If you've had children, you understand a disrupted routine can set a child off and cause them to feel insecure and irritable. And I would say the same is true for me. That's why the holidays are hard with kids, right? The holidays are hard because they're out of their routine. Here's my point, that we human beings are people who desperately want routine in a world that is anything but routine, right? We want to know what to expect even when we can't figure out what to expect because the world always keeps us guessing. And I was thinking about this and it began to really solidify in my mind why this is the case. We live in a world where we can't know what to expect, so we try to create routines to know what to expect. And this is why, because we live in a world that is ruled by the author of confusion, right? Satan rules this world and he is the author of confusion. So even in our everyday lives and routines, he tries to interrupt that and to confuse us, to keep us guessing. But we intuitively, inherently know that we were not created to live ruled by him. Therefore, we seek order. Are you following? Does that make sense? So we try to create these routines so we have clarity about our lives. So there is not that confusion. We are trying even through the continuation of a daily routine to get back to the state of things as they were in the Garden of Eden when there was no confusion. Even our routines point to the fact that there is a creator and he is an orderly creator and that we were meant to follow him. So we create these routines and we desire predictability. But today, we're talking about how change is a good thing. Even those of us who get upset with change, right? Even those, who don't, those of us who don't desire it, change is still what we need. How many of you would say that you do not like change? Okay? I am a person who does not like change. I like to know what to expect. Even when my phone updates... I get bent out of shape. I'm one of those people, Josh laughs at me because it'll say you have 74 updates that need to happen. It pops up on my screen. I just swipe it away. Why? Because with an update, there's going to be a change, right? Something's going to work a little bit differently. Something's going to look a little bit different. And I don't like that. Okay. I want it to be the way that I've always known that it is. That upsets me. And here's why I don't like change, whether it's with my telephone or something else. It's because change always demands change. 
Change demands change. I want you to think about that. When the weather changes outside, when the seasons go from warm to cold, doesn't that require that we change the way we dress and the way we operate? It does. Yesterday, when that cold wind blew in, we had to change our clothes. Now, teenage boys, I know, like to stay in shorts all the time. You need to change your clothes. Seasons demand that we change. But think about all the other changes that happen in your day-to-day life. Every change that comes your way demands that you change as well, that you adjust to it. Change around us demands a change within us. Change necessitates change. Think about, how many of y'all have been on uh, I-85 lately? Since all of the construction has almost gotten finished. We can no longer just go the way we used to go, right? The way I used to go to 385 to Greenville was to get over in the right-hand lane, right? And just go that way. If you get over in the right-hand lane now, where are you going? Columbia. Change demands change. What used to be automatic for us now requires forethought and concentration. Change demands change. Now, does that mean that change is wrong? No, praise God they have changed uh, 85. That's a change that needed to happen, but it still requires that we adjust to it and that we concentrate until that change becomes automatic. Those of you who are parents, just when you get used to a stage they get out of it, right? You get comfortable with parenting an infant and then they become a toddler. You're okay with parenting a toddler and then they become an elementary school age child. And Jesus help us all when they become teenagers because they change every day and we have no idea what we're doing. It's the current state of my life. Change demands change. And it's something that we have to get used to. Here's another observation about change. When changes take place, We have to adjust to them, and that means that we are no longer an expert, and we don't like that feeling, right? When I have to get used to something new, it requires humility on my part to become a beginner again, to become a learner. We would much rather stay the prideful expert in what we knew than become the humble learner in what we don't yet know because that's naturally who we are in our sinful selves. But when we choose to stay the prideful expert in the old, we miss the beauty of the new. We miss the growth and the change that happens in us when we choose to humble ourselves and say, you know what, I don't know everything. There are some things here for me to learn. Change demands change, and change requires humility. I remember my very first day of high school, a very long time ago. It was actually back in 94, which is funny, right? Josh got it. Back in 94, I was in high school, okay? And I remember my very first day walking into that building. It was a brand new building to me. I was unaware of where to go. I was unfamiliar with all the twists and the turns and how to work my locker and how to get to classes on time. And I got the stress sweats. Do y'all ever get the stress sweats? Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I was unfamiliar. I had to become the humble learner and ask people how to get to my classes, right? I had to become humble in order to know where I was going. By my senior year, I had it, right? I was the expert. But we cannot remain the expert forever because what happened when I graduated high school, I went to another brand new school. I had to start over. And that is the truth about change is that it is cyclical. We are always changing. There is always something new for us. 
But here's another interesting sort of ironic thing about change. That for, the, for those of us who like predictability and say that we don't like change, don't we still want things to be different? For as much as we like the predictability and we need the routine in our lives, we would still say that we want things in our lives to be different. It's January. People have made New Year's resolutions. Have you ever been a person who has made, made the, the resolution, who has thought, I would like physically to be different in this new year than I was in the last. I would like to lose weight. I would like to be healthy. If that's you, then you understand that sometimes we want things to be different, but we don't want to be the ones who have to change, right? Because in order for that resolution to happen, it means we got to change the way we're eating. We got to move. We want things to be different, but we don't want to be the ones doing the changing. We just want it to automatically happen. Can anybody say amen? It's easy to desire things to be different without desiring to be the one to do the changing. And that's not, as you know, the way that it works. We are not wrong for desiring routine and liking predictability. But we are wrong if we are refusing change. We are wrong if we get stuck in our ways and we despise new things all of the time and we think that our old way is the best way and we are wrong if we remain prideful instead of humble. That is wrong. I read a quote this week that I thought was so interesting. It said, the snake which cannot cast its skin has to die. We are snakes who constantly have to cast our skin, right? Why does a snake get rid of its old skin and grow a new one? So it can grow. We are the same way. If we stay stuck in that old skin and we never molt and become new, we cannot grow. And if we are not growing and changing, what are we doing? We're dying. Here's the truth about change this morning, that while we may desire comfort and predictability, we need change. I want you to acknowledge this morning in your heart, in your spirit, that there is something about you, there is something in your life, something in your lifestyle that needs a change. We may desire to feel good, and to stay with what we know, but we desperately need change. And I need y'all to write this down this morning if you're taking notes, that Jesus, the reason he came, the reason Jesus lived was for us to be changed. The reason Jesus lived was for us to be changed. In my Bible reading this week, how many of y'all are reading through the Bible this year with me? All right, I love it. In our Bible reading this year, we read part of Genesis. And Genesis 6, 5 says this, that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That is the true state of who you and I are. We are only evil all the time. There is no good in us apart from Christ. That is who we are. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, in our natural state, as we are born into this world, we are full of depravity. We are filled with sin. We only want our way. 
There is no good in us apart from Christ. And because of that, that leads to our separation from God. We have talked about this in the past several weeks, that the only way for us to be reconciled to God was through Jesus Christ. That is why Christ came. That is why the Christmas story matters, right? Because he came to earth to be the sacrifice to get rid of that sin and depravity in our lives and to make us new creations who can be in relationship with the Father. The reason Jesus lived was for us to be changed from old creations to new. His purpose was our change. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have never come to the Father through the Son, you are still the old creation. You are still that person full of depravity and sin and separated from God. And perhaps the change you need this morning is to acknowledge that and to become a new creature in Christ. That's the reason Jesus lived, was for our change so that we could move from death to life from bondage and captivity to freedom, from condemnation to grace, from hopelessness to hope. That is the reason our Jesus came to this planet. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So once we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are new creations. But I've said this before. That doesn't mean we are yet perfect creations. So we become a new creation who then continues to change, right? That's why we have to gather together as a church. That's why we study the word of God. That's why we aren't immediately taken to heaven and we are saved. It's so that we can grow in righteousness and bring his kingdom to this place. That's where you and I are this morning. That is where the change in us today is occurring, is that we are growing in righteousness. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. That's the mission statement for our lives, is it not? That we are being transformed with every trial we go through, every hardship we face, every second of every day, it is meant to transform us right? To transform us into his glory with ever increasing glory. Change is a necessity in the Christian life. And here's another truth. We have to get comfortable with change because spiritual maturity only occurs in people who change. How many of you know, you don't have to raise your hands, but you know, how many of you know a person who is advanced in years, but immature in the faith? We know those people, don't we? We're not judging them, we're not calling them out or condemning them, but we are saying, no, when we are advanced in years, we will be mature because we are going to allow Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to change us. Spiritual maturity only comes when we acknowledge that we are not yet as we should be and that there are parts of us that need modification. Am I preaching to myself this morning? I can look at the way I think on a daily basis and go, the truth is I need Jesus, right? Can't we just analyze our thoughts, much less our actions, and say, oh, there is proof that I need Jesus. There is proof that I am not yet perfected, that I am not yet righteous, and that the glory that is increasing in me needs to continue to increase. 
Change only happens in us when we allow it to change. When we fail to change, ladies and gentlemen, we fail to honor God. He sent his son so we could be changed and then continue to change. And when we get stuck and we stop allowing his work in our lives, we are failing to honor God. And so the question before all of us this morning is, how is he through his spirit whispering to us that we need to be changed? What is he saying to you in this moment? Is it a change in your thought life? Is it a change in what your eyes look at or what your mouth says? Is it a change in how you spend money? Is it a change in how you spend time? Is it that you are not yet a new creation? You're still the old and you need the change of salvation. Every person in this, this room this morning, if you're listening to the Spirit of God, He will tell you a change that needs to take place. It might be a change in your marriage. What is the change He is asking you to make today? Now, here's the hard part about change. That change, even change for the better, involves loss. I think it's important that we acknowledge this, that whenever we allow the Spirit of God to change something in us, it means that there will be something lost in our lives. Now, I'm not always talking about like a, a physical loss. It might not be the loss of a person. It might be the loss of a mindset. It might be the loss of a priority. It might be the loss of the way you have always spent your time. But change always brings with it some sort of loss. Because for every change, when we allow change, we are saying yes to God. Yes, you can do this in me. Yes, you can change this about me. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but for every yes we say, we say a simultaneous no. Those of you who are doing the Bible reading in a year, if you have said yes to that, aren't you having to say no to some other things? Maybe no to 30 more minutes of sleep in the morning. Maybe no to 30 more minutes of Netflix. Maybe no to hanging out with somebody because you haven't done your Bible reading yet and you, you can't go to that thing tonight. Every yes brings with it a no. And guys, a no can feel like a loss. Loss is not always a bad thing. Some of y'all know this morning that loss makes room for gain, right? Then when we lose things in our life, even if it's something we value, if it's something God takes away, he only removes it so that he can increase in that same area. He only takes away so he can give, so he can change you for the better. But it's important to acknowledge that change that brings about a loss sometimes is something to grieve, there are sometimes changes enforced on us that we are powerless against. And it is a huge loss in our lives. And it is not wrong to grieve that. It is okay to say, God, this yes that I'm saying means I have to say no to this. And that makes me sad. It's okay to tell him that. But what he will do is he will show you that in that no, there's a better Yes, that in that loss, there's an ever-increasing gain in your life. A no makes room for a yes. I want us to look in Scripture at Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible or you have your phone, if you would flip over to Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at a passage that has a lot to say about the changes that take place in our lives and how that change involves a loss a death. We're going to pick up in Romans chapter 6 with verse 2. And this is what it says. It says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For every loss there is a gain. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. We're talking about change, friends. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Praise God. What Paul here is telling us is that the old has gone, the new has come. And for the new to continue to come into our lives, there are some steps we need to take that we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in some of these areas. And I love the fact that he is very practical and gives us things to do. Now, I wanna hit some of the highlights in that passage. I want y'all to look back at verse four, if you will, guys. If you'll put verse four back up on the screen, this is what it says. It says, I'm looking at the wrong page. No wonder it didn't make sense. It says, (laughs) we were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Just as Christ died and was buried and rose again, that is what is going to happen to those of us who choose to give our lives to Jesus. It means that we will be given a new life. A divine exchange has taken place, right? The old for the new, death for life. The old life for the new life. And I'm gonna harp on this as many times as I need to this morning. If you are in here and you do not have a new life, but you know you need a new life, this is how it happens. It happens through the divine exchange where you give yourself entirely to Jesus Christ. You cannot manufacture a new life. You cannot work hard enough for it. You cannot pray enough for it unless you pray a prayer of surrender. You cannot watch somebody else who is living a new life and imitate it enough to make it happen in your own life. There is nothing that you and I can do to attain a new life except give up the old one, except surrender the old one. That has to be the first step of any change that's going to take place in our life. Because if we try to make a change in our life without the divine exchange of the old for the new, that change will not last. It can't last because it's not led 
by the Spirit. So the divine exchange must take place first. And I want you to look now at verse 6. Verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. I want you to think about all of the images that come into your mind when you think about crucifixion. Crucifixion was a brutal death, right? It was a government-sanctioned form of the death penalty in this period. It was never pretty. It was never easy. It was never desirable, right? Our old self was crucified. It was put to death deliberately. When Jesus hung on the cross, your sin, your old life was there with him. Have you ever thought about the magnitude of that? That in that moment, over 2,000 years ago, as he was hanging, bloody, gasping for breath, your sin, your old life was nailed to those pieces of wood along with his body so that you could be made new. So there could be a divine exchange. There have been times during this Christmas season where I have just been overwhelmed with the truth of that. I think for a lot of years, it was just sort of commonplace for me to, to hear the Christmas story, right? At Easter, it's, it's commonplace to hear the story of the crucifixion. But when you stop and make it personal and think, my old life, my sin, what I said and thought and did yesterday was there with him on the day of his crucifixion. It changes everything. Friends, sometimes it is hard to let the old parts of ourselves be crucified, right? Our old self, yes, is gone. We are a new creation, but we still participate in sin. And we have to choose to allow that sin to be crucified even today. The thoughts that we are thinking have to be crucified. They have to be put to death deliberately. I want y'all to look now, if you will, at verse 11. These are instructions for us changing. This is how we're to do this. Verse 11 says, In the same way that Christ died, count yourselves dead to sin. I don't want to be morbid here, but I want you to think about the reality of death. If we count ourselves dead to sin, death means there is no lifeblood. There is no pulse. There is no response. There is no reaction. There is nothing happening, right? And so if we are to count ourselves dead to sin, when the temptation to sin comes on us, we have to choose to be dead to it. Guys, the purpose of sin is to awaken something in you. You realize that, right? The purpose of temptation is to arouse something in you, to elicit a response, to bring about a reaction, to cause you to think or behave in a certain way. And we are being told here in Romans that we have to count ourselves dead to that. So when that temptation comes up, we have to kill it, right? We have to crucify it. We have to give it a bloody and brutal death because otherwise we will be alive to our sin. And he says, no, 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 be dead to it. It's like when the battery in your car dies and you turn it over, what happens? Click. That's how our response to sin is to be. Click. There's nothing. The temptation comes into your mind, I kill it. Click. I'm not going to respond. You see something on TV and it elicits something in you. Click. Maybe literally click. Change that channel. Click. I'm dead to it. It will not arouse anything in me. 
You see people participating in something and you want to do it as well because it looks fun like something that, that maybe you should do. Click. I'm going to choose to be dead to it. It will not get my life blood flowing. Are y'all picturing what that looks like to me, to you? Are you picturing what that looks like in your life? Guys, the temptation to sin occurs moment after moment after moment. And so we are to be cold-blooded killers when it comes to those temptations, right? We are to choose to be dead to those things. But the only way we can be dead to them is to do what it says immediately after that in that verse. Be dead to sin, but alive to what? To Christ. We cannot withstand the temptations of the world if we don't have the Spirit of God empowering us. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You don't have self-control if you don't have Jesus. You don't have self-control. You can't make yourself not do something if you are not empowered by the Spirit of the living God. Count yourselves dead to the sin, but alive to Christ. If we are alive to Christ, He is what? quickens our pulse. He is what elicits a response. He is what we react to. He is what gets our blood pumping. Dead to sin means alive to Christ. You cannot separate those two. You cannot be alive to Christ if you're not dead to sin. And you cannot be dead to sin if you are not alive to Christ. And you can't do either of those if you have not accepted Jesus first. That's the change that has to happen in order for us to be changed in our sin, be dead to it. That, that is unnatural, right, to be dead to sin. Our flesh is constantly demanding that we do the things we feel tempted to do, but we have to count ourselves alive to Christ. Verse 13 here I think is so beautiful. It says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. When you offer something, aren't you willingly give it up, giving it up? Here, I'm gonna offer you this. You're, you're bringing it to the table. You're saying, here, take this. This is no. Don't offer any of the parts of your body to sin. Think about the parts of the body that you offer to sin in this moment. How do you offer your eyes to sin? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? I'm not just talking about pornography, but I know that's a huge one even in the church. It might be looking at someone else's life with covetousness and saying, I want what they have. Guilty as charged. What about your ears? It might not just be listening to explicit lyrics, but it might be listening to someone else and saying, why won't God do for me what he's done for them? And that causing jealousy in your heart. What about your mouth? How do you offer your mouth to sin? Gossip, slander. How do you offer your hands to sin? What are you creating? What are you doing with your hands that is an offering of sin? What about your feet? Where are you walking? Where are your feet taking? Do you see how every part of your body can be offered to sin? What about your stomach? How are we offering the parts of our body to sin? We all do it on a daily basis. And if we don't ask God to show us and convict us, then we won't be changed, right? Change often starts with a request to be changed. God, show me how I'm offering the parts of my body to sin because I want to do it no more. I believe that there are three important things that have to happen if you and I are going to be changed 
with ever-increasing glory, changed into God's righteousness. And here are the three things I think it always requires. Number one, a submitted and a surrendered will. We have to choose to give ourselves the parts of our body, our minds, everything we have to God. Number one, a surrendered and submitted will. The second thing that it requires is the Spirit's leading. And the third thing it requires is human cooperation. You see, it says there in verse 13, do not offer yourselves to sin, do not offer the parts of your body, but offer them as instruments of righteousness. Again, that word offer, I want you to think about that. God is not going to operate you as an instrument of righteousness unless you offer yourself. You are not a robot. You are not a remote control car that he's just driving around at will. No, it requires your offering, your cooperation. Let me give you a hypothetical situation here. Have you ever told God, Lord, I really want to be used by you. I want you to use me to reach people. I want my life to have an influence. I'm sure you have. If you're a believer, most of us have said that in some way, God, would you use me? So you have surrendered, right? You've submitted your will to him and said, this is my desire. And so then the spirit will lead you. Maybe you see a person on the side of the road and you, you have that little quickening in your spirit where you're thinking, oh, I should really help them. Or somebody comes up to you in a parking lot, I've had this happen to me, and ask for money. The spirit is leading you, but you've neglected that third step of human cooperation. Have you ever done that? Where you said, God, use me, and he put somebody in your path and you said, oh, but not them. Oh, but not this way. Maybe you have said to God, Lord, I really wanna trust you with my money. You've surrendered that and, and he leads you to start giving. But when it's time to write that check, you don't cooperate and you say, oh, not ready yet. Still got some things to think through with that. You see, he gives us opportunities all the time and we can have two out of those three steps down. We can submit, we can hear his leading, but unless we cooperate we are not going to be changed. Our obedience is always shown through our cooperation. He's never going to force you to do the things he's leading you to do. He's not gonna force it. He's gonna give you the invitation. He's gonna beckon you. He's going to ask you. He's gonna compel you, but he will not force you. And that is the divine irony of human will. We have to choose. We have to choose. God is not gonna operate us as instruments. We have to offer ourselves. God will not force your free will to bend to his. We ask all the time, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, what are you doing here? And we forget that we have a choice in cooperating with him, that even when we don't understand, we can have faith that even when we don't feel like it, we can choose to praise. God will never force your free will to bend to his. This morning, he is compelling some of you to make a change. He is beckoning you, come, follow me. But he's not gonna force it. You have to choose to surrender and choose to submit. He's not, ladies and gentlemen, ever going to drag you kicking and screaming out of your bed to go spend time with him and his word. When my alarm went off this morning, I nearly cried but he was inviting me to spend time with him, so I did. He didn't drag me out of bed. I chose to offer my feet as instruments of righteousness and then my eyes and then my mind.
He will not pull you kicking and screaming. He will only invite you. He is not going to change you without your consent. And so today, as we talk about it being time for change, we as a church are trying to help you make some changes. We want to participate with God in offering you ways to change. Tomorrow, January 6th, we are beginning a 21-day church-wide fast where we are choosing each of us willingly to abstain, to stay away from something in order to really focus on and hear from the the Lord. I don't know what that's gonna be for you, but God's compelling you in this moment. He's telling you this is what it needs to be. And for the first few days, it might feel fun and exciting, right? Like, oh, I'm on a grand adventure. And then you go into the sugar withdrawal or whatever, and it gets hard, right? But no lasting change comes without difficulty. And so God is inviting you in these 21 days to change, to come alongside Him and be different. This week, we are beginning our new community groups for men and women. Ladies, we're meeting Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Stomping Grounds. That's a chance for you to change. Men, you're meeting Thursday morning, 6.30 a.m. at Theo's. That's an opportunity for you to change. We're offering you these things because we know that God desires change for all of us, and we cannot change if we keep doing what we've always been doing. And so the invitation this morning is for you to change for you to listen to the Spirit's leading and cooperate on a human plane with Him. In just a minute, what we're gonna do is we're gonna invite you to come forward and dedicate the next 21 days to change, to dedicate the next 21 days of this fast to Jesus. We're gonna invite you to do that. I'm also gonna invite those of you who need to accept Jesus as your Savior to come and to do that this morning because no change will last without you being a new creation. So here's what I'm gonna ask in this moment. I'm gonna ask our leaders to come forward. If you are a volunteer team leader, our board, our staff, if you guys would just come forward um, around the platform here, they're gonna be here to pray with you or you can just come and pray on your own, okay? They're here if you need them, but you're also invited to come on your own. And so as the music is playing and as I am praying, What we want for you is to just come forward, to make a physical declaration, to offer your body as an instrument of righteousness for how God wants to use you in the next 21 days. So as I pray, you come forward. Heavenly Father, we in this moment are choosing you. There are distractions all around us. There are things inside of us that we would rather not give up. There are difficulties in our lives. There's heaviness in our hearts, but in spite of all of that, we are going to choose you. We're gonna choose for the next 21 days to willingly give up something we value because we value you more. And God, when it comes to the time of our day, when we really want that thing, whatever it is, God, we just pray that your spirit would be, would be heavy in that moment, that we would feel you, that we would hear from you, that our sacrifice of fasting, God, you will honor. Guys, I want you to come forward if you are giving Jesus these 21 days, if you are choosing to participate with him. And, and God, we want so desperately for you to change us. We don't wanna be the same this year that we were last. 
We don't want to operate with the same old mindset if you can make it new. We don't wanna operate in defeat if you're offering us victory. We don't wanna operate in sadness and anxiety and depression if you are offering us freedom from those things. But God, we know that you're gonna have to do a work in us because we can't change on our own. We can't do it without you. Jesus, would you just move in our lives in the next 21 days? Would you blow our minds? And when we gather together on the 26th and we tell stories of what we encountered with you, God, would it be supernatural? Would we see miracles done? Would we see marriages change? Would we see families different? Would we see your kingdom grow? God, move in us and then move through us. We're a church who desires to bring your kingdom to this area. God, we know that there are people who need you and we want to be the ones to bring you to them. Use us, God. Change us because it is, it is time for change. We love you, Father, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.